0: Hi friends. It's good to see you this morning. Come on in if you're still outside. And if you're uh, just visiting with us today, thanks for being here. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name's Jake and I'm one of the pastors here. And so thankful that uh, all you guys are joining us this morning as we continue the series that we started a couple weeks back that we're calling Grow the Nature of Discipleship. Grow the Nature of Discipleship. And in this series, we're, we're asking two kind of big questions. The first is, what does God want to grow in us? And then the second question is, and how does God want to grow that in us? All right. So those are two questions that we've said the last two weeks. So the thing that God really wants to grow in us more than anything else, like more than our character, more than our morality, more than our obedience, more than our knowledge of God and his word, the, the thing that want, God wants to grow in us more than any of those other things is our faith, our trust, our Confidence in God and, and here' like just to point out why that 's true is that you can be an incredible moral uh, incredibly immoral uh, moral person, not immoral, incredibly a moral person, great character, you can know all about God and His word and still not even have a relationship with God, but that it 's through faith because of what Christ has done for us on the cross it 's based on what God has done for us, not what we do for God, our relationship is based on what God has done for us, and we enter into that through. Faith, that's why faith is such a big deal to God. That's why it's the main thing that he wants to grow in us. He wants to grow our trust, grow our, our faith, our confidence in him. In fact, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 puts it this way. Very familiar passage, but just read it for you. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, meaning this is not what you do for God. Our relation with God is not based on what you do for him, but it's a gift from God, meaning our relation with God is based on what he has done for us, namely through the person of God, the Son coming, Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, to pay the penalty of our sins, to rise again three days later and make it possible for us to, be, to have our sins forgiven and for us to be adopted into the family of God. And we receive that, that gift, Through faith, that's that's why faith is such a big deal to God. And this is also something we pointed out that I just love about God, is that God doesn't wait for us to take the first move. He doesn't say, here, I want you to trust me, so just trust me. But we have no evidence that God's trustworthy. No, God does something radical to show us that he is trustworthy first. What's he do? He sends his son to die for us. And Christ's death on our behalf having lived a life that we should have lived, and then dying in the, the death that we deserve to die for our sins. Then God says, okay, now I want you to trust me. And we say, okay, looking at Christ, we say, okay, I see that you are trustworthy. And we enter into this relationship with God based on faith. This is what he wants to grow in us. And guys, when our faith in him, our confidence, and our trust in him grows, two awesome things happen. First thing that happens is that we please God. We pleased our father. Like uh, we're in this relationship with God based on trust. And just like any other relationship, when you have someone who really trusts you, it pleases you in that relationship. No one wants to be in a relationship with someone who doesn't trust you at all and is always second guessing you and all of that stuff. That isn't, that's no relationship, right? But like we want to be in a relationship where people really trust same with our father. He wants us to really trust him. I remember when Chris and I adopted Enoch, we uh, we traveled to Uganda, and we were, went to his orphanage, and we were there specifically for Enoch. We had already been matched with him through this agency, though we had never met him, and he had never met us. But we get to this orphanage, and, and there's E, and like the... The the aunties there, caregivers there, bring Enoch to us and say, "Here's Enoch." And like we had just walked in from like 26 hours of straight travel, and uh, right before we meet Enoch, we were pulling up to the orphanage, and Camp actually gets carsick and throws up all over Krista, which is like this. Is, uh, It was crazy. And so we're like, like, we're like walking in to meet our son for the very first time. Chris is covered in throw up, camp's covered in throw up. We walk into the orphanage and we thought this was going to be this like really like picturesque, like amazing moment, right? And then we walk in and like this small little entryway and there's all these people crowded right there. And one auntie just gives us Enoch and Enoch's about two years old at this time, a little over two. And he just gives, and like we're like, Oh, we got our luggage. Like, we're, we're like, oh, okay. Uh, and I'm like trying to pull out my phone. Like, let me get a picture. And it's like, it's not working. So we, we take him upstairs to the room that we're going to be staying at, which is the first time we've ever been up to that room either. And like, we're in this room and he is just like, as you can imagine, he's scared to death. He's like, he's scared to death. And there's an incredible story of, of what happens there. Uh, uh, I don't have time to tell you, but. You, Ask me later. It's worth it. It's an awesome story. But, anyways, he's scared, of, but he, like, runs through the door a couple times, and camp finally gets him to calm down, which is a, the great story. But then it's just clear the guy does not trust us. And why should he, right? I mean, why should we? I and mean, we weren't expecting that he would, but we stay at his orphanage for a couple of weeks, and every day, all the, day, all the time that he's awake, we're with him right next to him. And, like, This relationship starts forming. I remember the first time that I realized he trusted me was also a moment where I was a very bad dad. But (laughs) I was playing with him, and like I play with Camp, like wrestle with Camp. Camp's about the exact same age as Enoch, and so I'm wrestling with Enoch the same way I'm wrestling with Camp, just kind of playing with them. And we're up in the, you know, in our room or bed, away from the other twenty nine kids that were there at the orphanage, and like I just grab Enoch, I just throw him up in the air. Like I do with camp, like I just throw him up in the air and I catch him, right? But I throw Enoch in the air, and then I'm thinking while he's in the air, the thoughts going through my mind: What am I doing? He's going to be scared to death. What am I do? He's not like, this is going to set us back relationship for a long time. Like I just threw the kid. Like he's like, like, he comes down and he just starts cracking up, laughing, he's just cracking up, smiling, laughing. And I thought, Hey, look at this! Like he's he's beginning to trust me. He, he probably shouldn't because I'm an idiot. I just threw him up in the air, but he's beginning to trust, and like. How pleasing that was for me! Like it was, like it brought me to tears. I just loved like that moment, just that trust in my son. And guys, the father—he's our—he's our our father. And when we, as his sons and daughters, trust him, it pleases him. In fact, Hebrews eleven six says it this way: It says very clearly, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, like he is real, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Which is, again, amazing about God. Because God isn't saying like, okay, if you, if you, uh, you know, it's all about you taking the first step. No, you need to just believe that I'm the one who rewards you. Like I've got, what I've got is so good, I just want to lavish it on you. And you need to believe that that's what kind of God I am. Believe that I'm real. Believe that I want to give you good, like I've given you my son. When we come to him in faith, oh, it pleases him. The other thing that's really why, like, it's so good to have faith. It's not just because it pleases God, but it's so good for us. Like, it leads to great blessing And this reward that Hebrews 11.6 is talking about. Like, what happens, I referenced this last week, I can't give a lot of time to it, but like, if God is all wise, and if he is all good, as the Bible tells us, as he tells us in his word, and we believe that about him, then does it not make sense that when we do what he says, it would lead to blessing in that area? That when, if he knows what's best, because he's all wise, and if he is all good, so he cares enough to tell us the best way to go, and we go that way, are we surprised when that way is like, oh man, this is really good? No. And so, like, I say, man, in my marriage, I really, like, I just think that my marriage would be great if I could just get Krista to live for me and serve me and meet all my needs. That's how I think. But God says, no, husbands, lay down your life for your wife, just as Christ sacrificed himself for the bride of Christ. And so I read that, I think, okay, I can either trust me and think I know best by trying to command Krista to live for me, or I can trust God and say, marriage is best whenever I actually lay my life down For Krista, and when I do that, I go God's way, I trust him enough to do that, what's it lead to? I'll tell you, it leads to an awesome marriage. And my marriage is so much better now whenever I'm obeying God instead of demanding Krista to live for me when I choose to, out of my love for God and love for Krista, live and love her. It's a great marriage. Because that carries forward in every area. When we say to God, okay, God, I trust you enough to do what you say. That leads to great blessing in that area because God's way is best. That's also guys. It also leads to great freedom, and I was struck by this this week when I talked to my son Camp. We were uh, getting ready for Enoch's birthday party, and we were doing. uh, E turned six on Monday. We had a big party for him yesterday. And we did this, uh, like basically a mock field day for, for him and his, his, uh, kids, uh, kids in his class and, and some of his other friends. We did like potato sack race and a little, another kind of race and kind of stuff. I don't know if it was awesome, but it it was, we, they had some fun, but camp was scared to death about it. And he gets this way when it comes to any kind of competition because he wants to make sure he wins. And if he doesn't win, he really feels like a huge failure. Feels like a loser. And so he was talking to me about this on the way to school on Friday. He's like, dad, are, like, is everyone going to get a medal? Because I don't know if I really want to do Enoch's party. If I'm not going to, like, if I don't, what if I don't win? And, and I was able to tell Camp, campus, I can't look. Here's what's awesome about Jesus. It's because what Jesus has done for us is that he allows a race to just be a race. That a race doesn't have to be something that attaches your value to it. That you're not worth more or more valuable whether you win a race or lose a race. Because what Jesus has told us, like this is the pastor coming out on me, right? But like preaching to my kid on the way to school. But like Jesus, like Jesus tells us when he died for us, he tells us that we're valuable. Valuable enough for God to love us enough to die for us. And so we don't need a race to tell us if we're valuable we can now just run a race because it's fun. And it doesn't matter if you win or lose because you know you matter because Jesus died for you. It's like, does that make sense? And he said yes. And I don't think he does. He, he got it, but I'll keep saying that to him throughout his life. And we need to keep saying that to us throughout our life because this, like, this is an incredible deal about faith in God. When we believe that God loves us as much that he's a personal God, a God we can call father and that he died for us and that he rose again and that he cares to see us through anything like sin and death like he can see us through anything we believe that then we have this incredible freedom for our jobs just to be our jobs not to be our saviors for our wives to be our wives and not be our saviors for our money to just be money and not be our security like all of that stuff comes When we have faith in God and man, that kills our anxiety, kills our worry, and lets us have trust and just operate out of always feeling loved, like, is this not awesome? Aren't we glad that this is what God wants to grow in us? That he wants to grow our faith in, our faith in him? It leads to such a better life. It pleases him and leads to blessing, reward, freedom for us. So that's what we've been talking about. And then we've said, okay, the second big question is, well, how does God grow that in us? If this is what God wants to grow in us, our faith, our confidence, our trust in him, then how does he grow that in us? And so that's kind of where we've gone with the rest of this series. And this series is basically built off of some observations that we've made and that others have made. And so like these, we've just said, okay, I've seen in my life. I've talked to tons and tons of people, and then I've I've heard from other pastors who've talked to tons and tons of people that said, like, we just observe that God just uses like these five different things to grow people's faith. And there's no list in the Bible where it lays out these five things and how God uses them, or degrees that He uses them, or any, or any priority within that. It's just it's really just observations, which also means. There could be six or there could be seven things that God uses to grow faith. But at least there's five. And these five things are things that God just seems to naturally use to grow our faith. Like whether you're trying to like intentionally seek out growing in these ways or not. It's this. It's like this is just how God works. So we're calling it, you know, this series Grow the Nature of Discipleship. Like there's this natural way that God wants to grow us. But there is a benefit when we identify those areas and ways that God used to grow us so that we can come alongside of him and partner with him in them and leverage them and be open to them, So, which is why we're talking about this stuff. But here are these five. We've gone over them the last two weeks and do it again. But uh, the five areas are practical teaching. Talked about that last week, specifically practical biblical teaching. The other, the thing we're going to talk about today is private disciplines. Then the third topic, or the third one we'll talk about next week is providential relationships. Then the fourth is personal ministry, like when you actually start serving God on your own and then you sort of realize like God's using you and it grows up your faith real big. And then the last one is these pivotal circumstances, good things or bad things that happen in your life that God uses to get your attention or to push you closer to Him. And so we'll talk about that in a few weeks from now, but God uses these five things in story after story. And probably if you've been thinking about this, you can resonate and like notice these things in your story. If you are a Christian, or you've been a Christian for very long, or perhaps you're just even, like, thinking about this, you're kind of looking into Christianity, you'll see, like, man, God's probably used some of these things to bring you to where you are, if not all of these things. And it's just helpful for us to put our finger on that. So, like I said, today we're going to talk about this third one, or the second one, uh, private disciplines. Now, just to warn you, uh... It, these are like disciplines. And we don't like discipline, do we? Like, no, no one really like, I mean, I guess there's a few people in here who are like super disciplined and like, hey, you're awesome. You make all of us feel really bad. And, but like, for the rest of us, like, who really love disciplines, like, or, mean the rest of us who really hate disciplines, like, I'm with you on that. Like, I get that. Like, discipline is, is primarily something that you know that you're supposed to be doing that you don't want to do. That's like, that's a discipline. And when there's all these things in your life, like, I should, I should be eating, I should eat less. But I should eat what I do I should eat more healthily, right? Or I should go to bed earlier. I should I, I should get up earlier. I should be working out more. I should be sitting on my couch less. Like all of these things. Like I could talk about all these kind of discipline things and make us all feel really, really bad for a long time. I'm, I'm not gonna do that, right? But I do want to draw out a couple observations about discipline really quick before we get into the passage we're gonna look at this morning. And the first first thing is is that. When it comes to the Bible, this is a faith thing, but when it comes to the Bible, I just want you to know that we're promised that God has actually given us a spirit of discipline. In fact, 2 Timothy 1.7 uh, says it this way. For the spirit of God gave, uh, the spirit God gave us, so that the Holy Spirit who lives within you, if you put your faith in Christ alone, the spirit of God comes to live within you, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but give us, gives us power, love, and what? Self-discipline. And so here's why I point this out. Usually when it comes to a topic of discipline, our response is we got to muster up some extra energy to make us do something that we know we should be doing but we don't want to do, but we rely on our own power to start doing that. And the Bible says, no, no, respond with faith. Faith's what pleases God. And here's what we need to have faith in. God hasn't left you alone. God's given you his spirit. And so his spirit is a spirit of self-discipline. And so it's not about muster up more energy on your own. It's about let me believe that I have everything God, everything that I need to do what God's called me to do. I already have it in me because I have the spirit within me. So let me believe that and take a step out in faith on that. That's a different perspective and that's a perspective on faith. But it's true, friends. You have this within you if you put your faith in Christ. So you have what you need to be disciplined because you the Spirit of God in you. That's great news. Second observation about discipline is this, that discipline often starts off as something you do not want to do, but if you keep doing it, when you start seeing the benefits of it, it becomes something that you are glad you're doing, right? And so whether that's working out, so I'm told. <laughs> if you keep doing it long enough, you start liking it what it comes, you know, or I'm on a diet right now and I hate it right now, but if I start seeing the results of it, then it's like, alright, you know, this is, you know, I still hate it, but I, I hate it less, right? And that that kind of stuff where you get a you talk to any kind of avid, like, runner, or cyclist, and it's like, man, at first I wasn't real sure, but then they get into it, and I, they just love it. A piano player, like, I was, I wasn't into learning the piano, but then you know, I kept with it, and now I, I do it for fun. I do it as a hobby. Like, that kind of stuff happens with discipline. That's just a principle. You, you do it long enough, so you start seeing the benefits of it. Then you're glad you're doing it, and you actually enjoy doing it more. That's just something to hold on to. The other thing is, when it comes to discipline, is this, is that discipline even has, a, it does its effect even if you hate it. Even if you're doing it with a bad attitude. Right? And so you can hate working out, but if you work out regularly, you're going to start seeing progress even though you hate the discipline. Now, we... When it comes to spiritual disciplines, we like to like put up some kind of like divide between, you know, like uh, working out discipline and like spending time with God. And we're like, if my heart's not really in it, then, then there's no good that's really going to come from it. And guys, that's, that's honestly, and we'll talk more about it in a second, but that's not true. Like there is progress made when you do a discipline, even if you don't like it. And oftentimes because it's a discipline, that's how it begins. And then you start seeing how God's using that. And then you begin to like it more. And then it becomes more of a habit and a joy. And so I just want to, I just want to point that out because we're going to talk a little bit about disciplines and they may feel that way for you. And like, just know that's, that's natural, and that's okay. So let's go to the passage. We'll talk about how God uses private disciplines to grow our faith. So if you will, go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. I have the words up here for you, but if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles out in the hallway. I encourage you to grab one when you're leaving today. We want all of you to have a Bible. That's our gift to you. But go to Matthew chapter 6. That's the passage we're going to look at today, verses 1 through 6. And... Uh, just like last week, this is, comes from the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' message, like most famous, famous sermon. And it has all kinds of practical teaching in here. At one point, or actually about right in the middle of his sermon, he turns and starts talking about what we're referring to as private disciplines. And let's look at this. So here's what he says. He says, uh, verse 1, Be careful not to practice your righteousness, Or what we're referring to as your private disciplines. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you have no... And what's this word? You're going to notice this word. It shows up a lot in the passage we're looking at today. You'll have no reward. No reward from your Father in heaven. So... This is Jesus' kind of introductory statement that's going to get into this topic. But he's about to hit on three real practical examples of what it looks like or what he's talking about, these acts of righteousness, or what we're referring to as private disciplines. And I just want to like make a real quick observation. In all of this, you're going to see a similar uh, kind of flow to what he says. What he's drawing out is that what he's going to talk about, he's talking about it in a sense of... God wants to do use something in your life, and you'll see to grow your faith. But it needs to be between you and Him. And the stuff I'm talking about, or G- as if Jesus was saying right here, He'd say, "The stuff I'm talking about here, this is not a stuff that you do to be noticed by others. This isn't a, a public thing in the sense that you're not doing it for the public." However, these are all things that you can do publicly. Like, you, like, it's not like you have to always hide. Like, he's going to talk about prayer. You can pray publicly. Like, that's a fine thing to do. But these are things that you aren't to do for the public. You're not doing to be honored by man. You do it privately in the sense that it's between you and God. And he says, if you do this between you and God, not for the praise of man, God's going to reward you. And I don't know about how that strikes you, if that's kind of a weird thought that God would reward you for doing this stuff. But uh, to that, I would just say, uh, I like, Jesus said that. Like, I didn't make that up. So, like, if you have a problem with the idea of God rewarding you for this, like, take it up with Jesus, all right? So I'm just going to say what Jesus is saying here. And this is saying, he's like, if you do these things, then you, for you and God, he's going to reward you if you do it publicly for the praise of man, then you've already received your reward because you're getting the praise of mankind. So anyways, that's what he says. So then he, then he gets specific and he gets into these uh, these uh, examples. First one he jumps into uh, kind of awkwardly for us is the issue of money. So here here's what he says. He says, so when you give to the needy, notice not if, not if you give to the needy, when, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Okay, what's the reward? It's the honor of man, all right? He just said that, to be honored by others. So you get, you get the honor of others, you know, then that's great. Hey, good for you. But hey, you've got your, that's your whole reward. But then he moves on. He says, let me tell you how you, how you ought to do this, how you ought to give when, when you give. He says this, but when you give to the needy, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now this is interesting, right? Notice here that Jesus doesn't tell us what the reward is. But if you're looking at this passage in context, then it seems like the reward probably has something to do with the Father honoring you. See, if, if you... If you do this for the praise of others, then God says, well, that's your reward because you've been honored by others. But if you do this secretly between you and the Father, then the Father will reward you. Probably is that he's rewarding you with some sense of honor, which is kind of an interesting thought. I wonder how many of y'all have really given, given that thought. Now, let me, let me just take a time out real quick. This message just tur- took a turn, didn't it? They were talking about faith and we're talking about discipline. Also, now we're talking about money. It's like no, that's a topic that we usually don't like to 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 hear about or be talked to about or for pastors to talk about. And uh, so let me just let me just give you a little heads up: we're not taking up a special offering this morning, and we're not kicking off some kind of capital campaign where we're gonna like just know, Okay, so there's no this is time out here. Don't just relax. But if you like, if you talk to people. And you ask them, like, what's God used to grow your faith? One thing that a lot of people will say is, man, when I started spending time with God regularly on my own, like, I started praying. And at first I felt like, man, I don't know if God's even hearing me. But then God answered some prayers. It, like, had this exploding effect to their faith. Or, like, they started opening up the Bible, spending time with God and the Word, and, like, reading it, and you're like, I don't even know if this is God's Word, but I'm just going to do this. And you start reading it, and you're like, like, this, you know what? Like God starts speaking to you in it, and it starts having an effect on your life. And, like, your relation with God just begins to explode. God uses it to grow your faith. And, guys, same way, when you begin to give financially, you pry. People don't just talk about this. But if you were to pry and say, hey, what are some big things that God used to grow your faith? Usually when you, people will say, like, when I began to give financially— to fund the kingdom, to fund the works of God. It had this profound impact on my faith. See, Jesus knows this, and that's why he begins talking about this topic. Now, notice that when Jesus begins talking about money here, the focus is not on meeting the needs of others. The focus is on how you do it between you and the Father. Which is not to say that when you give, it doesn't meet the needs of others or that you shouldn't give to meet the needs of others. Absolutely, it does. And absolutely, you should. But notice in this passage, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about giving in the sense of meeting needs. He's talking about faith and how it impacts and is impact. I mean, talking about money and how it impacts and is impacted by your faith. He's bringing up the topic of money. To help us see how it is impacted or how it should be impacted by and how it impacts our faith, our relationship with God. So you need to see that through this lens because this is something that we often overlook. That we underestimate how God uses money to grow our faith in him. And Jesus is saying like, I don't want you to miss that. I want to draw your attention to that. And so that's why he starts talking about this topic. Now... Here's how, just an example of how money is, uh, should be impacted by our faith. What Jesus says here is that if you, when you give, if you keep it secret between you and God, then the Father will see that and be so honored by it that he's going to reward you for it. Right? That's what Jesus is saying. And my question is, I wonder how many of us actually believe that. Like, do you really believe that? Like, do you really believe that when you give money to fund the kingdom, that the Father actually sees that? Like, he's that personal and he cares about what you do. Even if you're just given a, a couple of dollars, like, he sees that, every little thing. And it moves him. Like, it honors him so much that he's promised to reward you. Do you believe that? Like, I, I think that if we actually believed that, we would be way more generous. But I don't think that we often believe that. See, we don't, we don't think about it in, that, in those terms, at least. But guys, that's a faith issue. That's a faith issue of whether we really believe what Jesus has promised here, that when we give our money, God sees it and is honored by it to reward us. And if we, I think if we believe that, we would be way less anxious, way less reserved, way more generous, way more excited about giving as a way to worship God and fund the ministry and work of God. See, so that's a faith issue. It's not, a, that's not a, just a money issue. That's not just a meeting the needs issue. That's a, that's a faith issue. And the issue of money, like faith should, be, should, faith should impact the issue of money. But guys, it also works the other way around. Money impacts the issue of faith. Because there's the other reason that God, I mean, Jesus brings it up in this passage is this. We feel this tension when we talk about money or we think about giving away money to God. And the reason we feel this tension is because money is more than just some paper to us, right? I'm not saying anything that you don't already know. Like money shouldn't cause angst within us. It's just paper with dead presidents on it, right? And Benjamin Franklin. Especially Benjamin Franklin, right? But, uh, like, it shouldn't be that much of a big deal to us. But it is because money represents our security. Money for most of us in here, maybe all of us in here, is our primary place we look to for security. That we're trusting on for security. And and if what Jesus wants, if what the Father wants is for us to trust him, then wouldn't it make sense that he would say, hey, I, I really want you to trust me, so let me mess with the number one thing that you trust in and ask you to give me some of that as a way to start transferring your trust, not just your money, but your trust from your money to your God. Because if if God loves us so much that He sent His Son to die for us, if Christ dies for us for our sins, rises again three days later, that we could have be reconciled to God, that we could be forever adopted into His family, like that's proof that God's trustworthy. And if you have believed that, then what you are doing is that you've put your trust really a hundred percent in Jesus for everything that's going to happen from in your life, to the point that you breathe your last breath on out, right? Like you've trusting God all hundred percent with your eternity. And why? (laughs) Right. You don't have any other choice, right? So like we got God, you've got us, you've got our eternity, but God is saying, Hey, I don't, I don't want just, I don't want you just to trust me with your eternal eternity. I want you to also trust me with every breath from your last breath, all the way back to right now. I want you to trust me with every single breath you take. But right now, what you trust is your money. So what I'm asking is for you to give me some of that money. Because I know that as you do so, you're also going to be giving me some of your trust. And as you begin to trust me more, then you're going to please me. You're going to be blessed. And money's going to quit being more than just some paper to you. I'll be your God. And I will be your provider of security. It's a faith issue. This is not a need issue. We think, okay, God, but you don't need our money. That's right. God does not need our money. He does not. We're going to leave all our money here when we die. We don't take it. We're not taking it with us. He doesn't need our money. But Jesus is like, this is not, I'm not talking about need here. I'm not talking about what I need. I'm talking about what, what's good for you. Is, it's like, it's, this is going to impact your heart. See, what I want from you is not your money, but I want your faith. So God, like, well, what, what if like, what if I don't have enough? Just trust me. Just trust me. It's a trust issue. Well, God, what if I don't know how people are going to use it? What if I give it away? I don't know how to, it's, it's, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about meeting needs. I'm, I'm talking about trust. I'm talking about trusting me. Will you trust me? And friends, that's the question before us. Will, will we trust him? Because when you begin to give privately to God, is funding the things that are close to the heart of God, giving money to the church to support the ministry of the church or to missions or to anything else that God gets your attention with that's going to glorify him, and you start giving your money away to those things. God uses that to transfer your trust. And hear this, even if you don't want to do it, even if the whole time you're fighting yourself and you're writing that check or about to send it in online or whatever it is, you're just wrestling with yourself, like God, will, God will see it you do it privately between you and him and jesus says he will reward you for it he will reward you for it but then jesus moves on and aren't we glad he does so he moves to a different topic and starts talking about prayer and this is what he says he says and when you pray Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in their synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now again, see the pattern here. Do this in front of others for their praise, no reward. Because your reward is you've been honored by others. And then he says, okay, let me tell you how you ought to do this. When you pray, again, not if, but when. When you pray, or let me put it another way. When you make time to pray, when you make time or when you take time to pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now, a couple things to draw out here. First is that Jesus is not talking about on-the-go prayers. Now, on-the-go prayers are great. Now, the whole, you know, Paul talks about praying unceasingly and praying without ceasing. Like, that's awesome, right? you just, as you're going, you're throwing up prayers to God. Like, God, bless this day. Pray for my, you know, my wife comes to my mind. I'm praying for her just as I go, all that kind of stuff. That's great. Do that. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here, which is why I draw attention to this idea of, like, when you take time to pray. Because what Jesus is saying is, like, what I want you to do when you pray is I want you to carve out some time where it's just you and God. Now go into the closet, get away from everybody, and give him, some, give him some of your time, which is our most valuable asset, right? I mean, there's always a chance that we can make more money. We care a lot about money, but there's always a chance we can make more money. You're not making more time, right? It's, it's a, our most valuable asset. He's got, and Jesus is saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take some of your time. I want you to devote that specifically to, To your father. And then you do that just between you and the Father. You're not trying to like look at me, look what I'm doing. I'm having so much time with God. But it's like, no, no, you're doing it just between you and the Father. The Father will, and this is amazing. Father will see you and reward you for it. And like I don't know if this is a big deal to y'all, but like as I was like studying this passage this week, one of the things that just struck me, like and kind of emotionally got to me, was that this was like sometimes I have this stupid like I, a pastor, I think, shouldn't do this, but I have a stupid concept of in my mind that God answers our prayers kind of like God, Bruce Almighty God did in that movie, right? If you remember that movie, like the the prayers come in as emails and he's like, okay, they're all just showing up. And he's like, like just pounding out some replies or whatever. And it's like, God, I know God hears our prayers. And I don't know how you picture what that's like. It's like God just in heaven, like just hearing that, you know, whatever. Like we have all these mixed up views of what that looks like. But here, this is what got me here is that it's not just that God hears you pray. But here Jesus is saying, God sees you. It's like your father is like looking in and sees that you get away just some time with just him. And he's not just going to hear what you're saying, but he like sees you do this. He's watching you, and it's like he smiles. It's like he feels so honored by this. It's so pleasing to him that he says, yeah, "I want to reward you for that." Like that's like that's powerful for me. What's the reward? I don't know what the reward is. If you ask if you ask someone, if you ask me, like what is the reward? for get, making some time to get alone with God and to spend some time in prayer, I would say, well, the reward isn't that you, God says yes to all your prayers. That's certainly not what the reward is. But I can tell you that at least, I don't know if this is what Jesus is referring to, but here's one reward that I find again and again, is that I leave that time with just this uncanny assurance that God is with me. And that I don't know what's going to happen in this day to come. But I know that I have a God the Father who loves me and knows me and is with me. And it changes my perspective and my confidence level for that day. And I'll tell you, that is a reward. Now, Jesus may be referring to another kind of reward. That's great. But there's this reward that's there when we take the time to do this. And guys, it's a faith issue. How many of us? have said, I just don't have time to get away and spend time with God, just me and him. Like, we've probably all been there. I know I've been there. Because that's not a time issue. That's a faith issue. Just like if you think, man, I don't know if I have enough money to give to God. Like, I don't have enough. That's a faith issue. Just trust me with your money. God's saying, hey, it's a time issue. That's a faith issue. Trust me with your time time and if you would take the time to get away and just say god i i have to do this because i know i'm dependent on you i know i need you and i'm gonna do this because god i know that you've got this day and so i'm gonna get together with you and i'm going to even though i don't feel like i have this time because i'm busy 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 we're also busy 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 but you're gonna say okay i'm gonna get time with god i'm gonna trust you to work everything else afterwards even though I don't see how it can all fit. Or I'm going to trust you to give me the extra energy because I woke up a little bit earlier and I know that that's just going to kill me later on this day because I'm so tired. But I'm going to trust you, God, that you're going to give me the extra energy I need to make it through this day. So I'm going to get up earlier and spend time. Because that's a trust issue. It's a trust issue. And when you give that time to God, God will use that to grow your trust in him. And when you give your money to God, he's going to use that to grow your trust in him. I don't have time to get into it this morning, but he goes on. One more example is the area of fasting. And he says the exact same kind of thing. Like when you fast, don't do it in front of people for their praise. Do it between you and God. But when you do that, God's going to see it and he's going to reward you. And it's really interesting when you think about it, the three things that Jesus hits on. Your money, your time, and your nourishment. Your health, your your sustenance. And he says, like, here's what the Father loves. He loves it when you trust him. So trust him with these three huge things. Trust him with your money. Trust him with your time. Trust him with your health. And when you give him that, then he just is pleased by it. And you're blessed by it. You're rewarded for it. Friends, God wants us to trust Him. He wants to grow trust in us. Are we trusting God? So here's, here's where I want to end this message this morning. I want to end it with a little bit of a challenge. Just get real practical for us. Here it is. I want to I challenge you for this week. Or not, let me just... well No, I want to challenge you for this month. For this month, 30 days, I want to challenge you to give God... Your first few minutes and your first few dollars, your first few minutes and your first few dollars. I want to ask you that you did you just say to God, very first first part of the day, first few minutes you're going to get alone with him, and you 're going to spend time with with him in prayer and once one thing that we have that the listeners of Jesus in, in that day don't have is that we actually have like digital and, and, and like portable copies of, of all these scrolls that they had back in their day. And so Jesus wasn't saying like, hey, open up the scroll of Isaiah when you go to the synagogue and, and switch time. And he's like, no, but today, like we can hear from God in his word. It's amazing. Like we all carry it with us in our phones. And so like get alone with God first few minutes and spend time prayer and spend time in his word. You won't feel like you've got the time. And it's going to feel like a discipline. And you probably won't wake up tomorrow morning with this, like, your joy. And you jump and your step and the hallelujah chorus singing behind you. And like, you're probably not going to be real excited about it. That's okay. It's a discipline. Just 20 minutes or whatever it might be. First few minutes, get alone with God. Give him the first few minutes and your first few dollars. The way we talk about it here is that we want to encourage you. To be a priority percentage giver. A priority percentage giver. And what we mean by that is it's your priority to, to, because you trust God more than you trust money. You're going to give the very first that comes in. You're giving that to God as a way to say, okay, God, I trust you with this. So you give a percentage of it. You don't just give based on need or whenever you see a picture of something that really breaks your heart and you throw some money at it for a little bit. Like, no, it's a priority. It's like, God, this is a trusting thing. I'm going to give a percentage of this every like regularly as a way to say, like, I trust you, God. And so I want you to build even more trust in me. So I'm going to give a percentage. And so priority percentage given, you don't have, it doesn't have to be 10%. It could be 30%. It can be. That's okay. If you also, it could be 3%. It could be 5%. Just pick a percentage and say, okay, I'm going to give, save, live on the rest. Give, save, live on the rest. I'm going to pick a percentage and I'm going to give God my first few minutes And my first few dollars and friends, if you do this, you do this between you and the father, he's going to see you. It's going to honor him. And he's going to reward you. And a part of that reward is that he's going to use that to grow your faith in him. To grow your trust in him. So that's the challenge. 30 days. Whatever comes in, money-wise, you're going to say, okay, I'm a percentage of that. I'm going to give to fund the kingdom. You don't have to give here. You don't have to. If you don't trust what our church is going to do with your money, if we don't think we're going to glorify God with it, whatever, like, or there's something else that God's really called you to give to, like, you don't have to give it here. Just give it away. Priority percentage. First few dollars. First few minutes. Does it have to be in the morning? It doesn't have to be in the morning. But do it in the morning. Just give them first few minutes, all right? Just do it just for 30 days. Start off your day that way. First few minutes, first few dollars, first few minutes, first few dollars, and see how God uses that to grow your faith in him. Let me pray. Father God, would you please use this to grow your fa- our faith in him, and you? <laughs> God, please give us the faith to trust you with our money and trust you with our time. That you use this stuff this is an opportunity for us to like, play a proactive role in something that you use to grow our faith. God, may we take this step of faith and not take it blindly, but take it in light of Christ dying for us, that we know that you're trustworthy so we can trust you with, your, with our time. We can trust you with our money. In fact, God, the Bible's clear. It's all your time. It's all your money. It's not like we own it anyways. We, got, we think we do, but may we trust you with it. May you use this to grow our faith. God, we're we're gonna spend some time as a family just p- praising you in our time of praise. God, we want to reflect on how we know that you're trustworthy. We want to reflect on the cross. We want to reflect on what Christ has done for us. And God, may this these words that we sing not just be words, but actually penetrate our heart level that we our trust in you would well up and it would lead to us acting in faith. And that would show up and, and trust in trusting you with our first few dollars in our first few minutes. Your glory, God. And our reward, apparently. God, you're so good. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.